All right. Well, this is exciting for me. I love doing this. Um, I get to do it every week, but just not on a grand scale. Um, so nothing new for you guys. <laughs> so sorry. Just kidding. Um, all right. So um, like you said, I'm the director of student ministries. I get to hang with them uh, week in and week out. Um, so um, quick story to open, and this is going to be something you guys can relate, relate with, especially if you have a teenager. Um, obviously, they were younger at one point. Maybe still you deal with this <laughs> with your teenagers. Um, so I have two little girls. One's almost two, and one is almost five months. And, um, you know, you hear that, that number two for a kid, and it's like, dun, dun, you know, like the terrible twos. And, um, you know, some parents are like, we never had. I'm like, come on, yes, you did. Like, don't try to tell me that you never had a terrible two kid, all right? At some point in their life, they were terrible, so don't give me that. Um, so, so we're approaching it. I'm the dad that's going, ah, she's sweet. We're not going to have any issues. Um, well, the closer we get to it, the closer I realize that we're going to be in deep with this one. Um, she is our little redhead, and she's fiery already. So um, she has just recently started doing this thing, uh, not just with the illustration I'm about to tell you, but in multiple facets. Um, so we're sitting at dinner or lunch or wherever, and she'll take, her, uh, she'll take some food, and she's eating or whatever, and then she'll just be like, oh, this is good mac and cheese, whoop, you know, throw it off onto the floor. And you're like, okay, like that was kind of random. So what do you do in that moment? As a parent, you're like, listen, you know, you find her eyes and you're like, don't, you know, don't do that. If you don't want your food, you put it back on your plate. You put it back on your tray. And um, Jake can attest to this, okay, she'll, she'll look at you mm-hmm. and drop it like without breaking eye contact. Like last night, she was banging her fork on this plate at my parents' house, and she knows she's not supposed to, so she's just looking at me until I find her doing it. She's like, like, stop. So it goes from like the accidental, like, oh, I threw my mac and cheese. So now she's intentionally doing it, right? She's purposing it in her little mind that, you know what, I don't care what he says, I'm going to take this, and I'm going to throw it on the floor, right? So now it's become a purposeful thing. It's become intentional. So this big word intentional that we're going to talk about this morning can have a negative connotation, right? Intentional grounding. I don't know. Is that what it is? Football guys, all right. So that means you get a penalty because that's not good. Um, But you can also be intentional and be purposeful in a very, very positive way, right? It means um, to be purposeful and see the end and then plan your steps to get there, right? So you see the end goal. You see where you want to go. And then you plan how you're going to get there. You're intentional with getting to that point. So um, I know this morning it's going to seem a little bit like we're just falling right in line with the thread series because we're going to be New Testament, talking about Christ, um, talking about him and his interaction with this woman. Um, But to break it up a little bit, we're going to call it intentional, all right? So we're not going to call it a sub-series of Thread by Adam King, okay? It's intentional, and then you have Thread series. So we're going to break from it. Here's what we're going to talk about. Um, So this is a familiar story, I think, to a lot of people in this room in John chapter 4 of Jesus and how he is very, very purposeful in his life as he interacts with people and as he goes after people. Before we get into that passage, though, I do want to give you a little bit of history uh, geographically and then also the history of the, uh, the racial tension that was going on at this time. So uh, geography, for those of you that love this kind of stuff, I was never good at it, but um, geography, you have Judea down here in the south, okay? And then you have Galilee about 70 miles north, due north, okay? And then right in the middle, okay, you have Samaria, all right? So my head is Samaria, all right? So you have Judea. Galilee, Samaria, okay? So there's your geographical landscape. Uh, And then you also had at this time some pretty heavy racial tension between a couple different parties. And so I want to give you the history of that because that's important to our passage as well. 
So you have um, about 750 years before this passage takes place. You have the northern kingdom which was, um, of Judea, which, was, uh, which is Israel, okay? You have this northern province being taken into captivity by, this, by the Assyrians. When they took them into captivity, it left a lot of land, a lot of uninhabited space. So what the Assyrians did is took some of their tribes and their people and they moved them back in. Well, remaining in that northern uh, kingdom was still some Jews that maybe had um, escaped the captors or maybe they were, you know, hiding in caves or maybe they had bribed or whatever the case may be, but they remained. And so now you have these Assyrians coming in and you have the Jews who are still there and they begin to intermarry and they begin to make um, this separate uh, race of people called the Samaritans. Uh, and so that's against the Old Testament law big time, right? You don't intermarry with anybody else, uh, but they did. And so now you have the Jews that stayed true to their to their faith, to the law, Old Testament law, who are looking at these half-Jews, if you will, as, as tainted, as a people that can't have God's promise. You can't possibly be in the same realm as us because you've disobeyed the law. You're not fully Jew. And so now you have this animosity that begins to grow. They have arguments about temples to worship in. The, the Samaritans build their own temple as opposed to the one in Jerusalem. And so now you have this hatred and you have, have this really, really thick tension in between these two people groups. So with that said, let's jump into John chapter 4 because that's going to be important as we, um, as we continue on. Um, so Jesus in John chapter 4, um, if you're there, great. If not, go ahead and turn there. But what he's doing is he's getting ready to leave Judea and he's going to travel to Galilee. So he's going to make that 70-mile trek. And because of everything that was going on at that time, typically what the Jews would do is they would go due east to the, uh, to the Jordan River they would follow that up and around Samaria, and then they would end up in Galilee. So if you were to take that detour, it would actually be probably about two days that you were adding on to your trip. So they hated them so much that they would do everything they could to avoid being anywhere near the Samaritans. They didn't want to see them. They didn't want to be in the same vicinity as them. And so they would go way out of their way to try to avoid, um, you know, being in contact with them. Well, Jesus being the intentional person that he is, purposes it in his heart to go straight through. So um, we're going to see this morning three ways in which Jesus was an intentional person. Um, hopefully as I talk and as we look at this story, you'll find yourself in one of two camps, really. Maybe you'll be able to associate a little more with the Samaritan woman that we talk about. And maybe you'll be able to relate to, to Christ as he pursues this woman, okay? So maybe, um, maybe you'll be here, maybe you'll be there, but you'll figure that out as we go. All right. So the first way in which uh, Jesus was intentional is that he knew exactly where he was going. He knew where he was going. Any of you guys use the app on your phone, Waze? Those of you that drive, yeah, I like that app. Um, the beauty of a GPS app is that you can plan your route, you can avoid toll roads, and I found out the other day that you can actually, I, I wasn't looking for it, but I stumbled upon it, you can actually decide if you want to go on dirt roads or not. So if you want that to be a part of your journey, and you're like adventurous, and you have a truck, um, you can actually pick that you want to take dirt roads, which is pretty cool. So if you want to do it, that's great. But the important thing is, is with the GPS app, you set your destination, right? And then that's going to that's gonna figure out a way, a route to get you there. So Jesus knew exactly where he was going, and he knew exactly the route he had to take to get there. So um, this is where we pick up in verses um, 3 through 6. So check this out. Um, Jesus, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. 
Um, so I, I, lo I love this part where it says that Jesus had to pass through. It says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Well, we know, based on what I just told you, um, he didn't have to, right? There was an alternative route around he could have gone. Um, but you think about when Jesus taught us to pray, and he said, um, you know, God, above all else, your will be done. Okay, that's what he teaches us, to put God's will above our own. And then you see in the garden at the end of his days, as he's, as he's pleading with God and he's sweating tears of blood, you know, crying tears of blood, sweating blood, whatever um, is going on. And he's just so intense and so um, just, just begging God, you know, take this cup from me, but your will above mine, right? doesn't matter what I want in this situation. Like, this is what I'm feeling, but God's will um, above all else. And so Jesus, in that sense, had to go through Samaria because God willed that to happen. Um, so he was accomplishing God's will. So, um, yes, he had to. And so he sits at this well and he waits. And uh, just another little tidbit, I love the more you read scripture and you just see little things, but, you know, it says that he was wearied from his journey, which is just a cool little glimpse into his humanity, right? We think of Christ and we're like, well, he's fully God and fully man. And um, we see little glimpses of how he was fully man, right? He was tired. He didn't just sit there because he was waiting for this woman, which he was, but he was tired. He had to sit down. He was wearied from the long journey and he needed a drink of water. So he, so he sat. And so he sits and he waits because number two, um, Jesus knew exactly who he was going after. Um, so the cool contrast between John chapter 4 and John chapter 3 where you see Jesus um, dealing with Nicodemus, you know, at night, and you have this whole thing, John 3, 16, the, the, the conversation about the new birth and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, here's the contrast, and it's really, really cool because it paints a perfect picture of who Jesus went after. So here's how John Phillips puts it in his commentary. He says that one was a man and the other was a woman. One was a Jew and the other a Samaritan. The one was a respected ruler, but the other was a social outcast. The one was seen as a moral man and the other an immoral woman. The one came to Jesus by night and the other came at midday. The one had no arguments, only a wonder how, and the other was full of questions and debate. The one was cautious, but the other was bold. The one did not seem to know what he wanted, but the other knew only too well. One of them fades out of the story unnoticed and the other went back to her crowd and brought them all to Jesus. See, here's the important thing to note in this contrast in 3 and 4 is that Jesus didn't care about social status of people. He didn't care about their race, their gender, their belief system. He didn't care about any of that. All he cared about was their heart and their soul. Um, and he, he cared about their eternity, right? That's why he came to earth, because he cared about people's hearts and he cared about their souls. And so he sets his heart on this woman, this woman who was a social outcast. you got to think about this. It's the sixth hour, which in the Jewish um, time would be around noon. So Jesus is there in the heat of the day, and this woman comes down, and um, there's already something wrong with that picture because they're in the Middle East, right? It's hot, noon, day, high noon, and uh, in the mornings and in the evenings is typically when, when women would come, and it was kind of a social event. They'd come together to the well to draw water, but this woman comes alone in the middle of the day with nobody else, which just shows you that kind of social outcast that she may be. Um, in her village. And so um, here she comes. Obviously something was wrong. She's immoral. We see that later on. She's had five husbands and was currently with a man that wasn't her husband. But, um, but Jesus knew that ahead of time and didn't let any of that stop him. He saw this woman uh, in his mind. He knew where he was going. He knew the moment she would be the most vulnerable in her life and met her in, in that minute at that well when she came. So he knew exactly who he was going after. Um, he was intentional about where he was going. He was intentional um, about who he was going after. And lastly, in the, the most of where we'll be this morning, 
is that he knew exactly what he was going to say. Um, so here's the cool thing about this conversation that Jesus has with this woman is um, he, he uses a strategy that's not like, you know, the, the proverbial, like, you know, drop the mic. You know, he's like, uh, hey, woman, I know you're a sinner, so get with it. You know, it's not like he just, like, lays down some truth and it's, like, walks away, right? What he does is he says something, and then he invokes thought, or, or he causes her to wonder what he might be talking about. He leaves questions in her mind. And so as he's having this conversation, we'll see throughout, she, you kind of start seeing her go, hmm, huh, what about, so he's invoking this thought, which is, which is really cool. So let's look, um, let's look at verses 7 through 9. Uh, we'll read a little bit, and then we'll talk about it. So verse 7, it says, um, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And a Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So he begins with something that seems very, very simple, right? A drink of water. Something that's very material. Um, but you think about the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans at this time, and that's, that's a pretty big deal. You can see right away that she has this huge wall up because she addresses him as a Jew, right? She doesn't address him in a respectful kind of title. She says, you a Jew. That's how she sees him, which means she's addressing that racial tension that's there. She's acknowledging that this shouldn't be happening, that that's a, a social norm that, that he's breaking, right? And the fact that he's a man and she's a woman, right? So she's taken back. This wall immediately goes up. And you think about um, this situation, the beginning of this conversation. This is how, really how it works in our lives when, when we think about the spiritual um, kind of sense that Jesus comes down uh, to, to us, right? He, he comes and initiates the conversation. If it was up to us, honestly, we would just leave him sitting there on that well, right? We wouldn't be going after him. But no, he, he, doesn't, let us, um, he doesn't let us do that. He, he comes after us. He initiates. He asks the first question, um, and he begins then to break through to our hearts, which is so amazing because imagine if we were just left hopeless without him having come to do that for us, right? So he starts that conversation, he initi initiates the conversation, and, and begins to try to break through to her heart. Verse, uh, verse 10 through 12 says that Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So Jesus doesn't waste any time, really. He ignores her, her you know, want, I guess, for a, a social debate, right? He kind of looks past that. You know, she's bringing up this. Why, how, why are you asking me for this? This isn't right. What do you think you're doing? And he goes, listen, okay, if you even knew who was talking to you, then you'd be asking me for water, right? So he's kind of now starting to pull a little bit of her, like, curiosity, right? And he brings up this idea of living water. And so now she's going, okay, I'm intrigued, right, living water. And you can see also she kind of changes her tune because now she's calling him sir rather than calling him a Jew, right? So now the wall's coming down a little bit. He's starting to break through because he's speaking to, um, to something that's a deep need for her. So you got to imagine, um, you know, the, this prospect of living water for this woman, right? I mean, we're, we live in the U.S., and um, I don't care, you know, teenagers, how athletic and you're crazy and you're sweating, whatever. Like, we don't understand true thirst, okay? Maybe you get a Gatorade or some water, and it's like, oh, you know, I'm so thirsty, I'm sweating, and then you drink some Gatorade, and you're like, ah, I'm good, you know. Now I can go run another 15 miles or whatever, right? But if, if you've ever been to a place where, um, where water is not readily available, then you understand what this prospect of living water would have been to this woman. Uh, last summer, we took some of our students to Haiti, and 
um, we, we stepped off that plane into this airport, and you kind of start feeling, you know, stuff beating up on you, and you're like, that's weird. <laughs> like, I'm, in, I'm inside. I shouldn't be sweating, right? And you sweat, and then um, literally you don't stop until you get back on that plane. Um, you, you take a cold shower midday, and you get out of the shower and just start sweating again. Like, you just don't stop sweating. And so what they encouraged us to do, and we made our students and leaders do, you bring things for water, right? You bring a giant container for water. And so I had one that was 32 ounces, um, filled it up three times a day, water at night, water in the morning, whatever, over 100 ounces a day. Um, and I don't, you know, this whole like the American society of blah, blah, blah tells you to drink this much water. Okay, well, that's great. Um, but when you have, when, when you have a, a necessity in your life, like I have to drink it or else my energy is depleted or else I pass out from exhaustion or else, right? When you actually need that water to continue and carry on through your day, then you start to understand a little bit the prospect of, of living water and how important water is and how essential it is, right? And so he's speaking now to a deep longing, right? She's going, um, hold on a minute, living water? Like what are you talking about? So he's, he's kind of starting to pique her curiosity a little bit. Um, check out verses 13 through 15 now. Um, so they continue on. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So, um, Imagine now he's explaining what this living water is to this woman, right? So now she's listening, um, and he says, listen, the water that I have for you, you'll never go thirsty again. You drink what I have, and you'll never even feel thirsty again. And she's going, okay, time out. Like, uh, come again? Like, like water that I can drink that I'll never go thirsty again, right? She's like, okay, give, like, I, I want that, right? I want that water. Because she, she understands what it is to be thirsty. She understands the pain it is to be coming back and forth to that well to draw water, to bring it back up to her house and then come back for more and all of this work. And she says, look, if you, you give me water, then I'll never thirst again. That's, that's what I want, right? And we can really begin to relate now to this woman because he's speaking to this deep need for her in her life to satisfy something, right? And so we all have this, this deep longing uh, in our life. It doesn't matter what you... Uh, who you are, um, it's different for all people, what, what you try to fill that, that longing with, but it could be, you know, money, it could be your, your status, your social status, or whatever it is, um, it could be power in your job, maybe um, the, the activities that you fill your life with, maybe it's um, pursuits, vain pursuits in your life, uh, because honestly, those things that we try to fill our life with, they will, they will maybe give us some satisfaction for a time, right, uh, but th those things will never, they'll never last or give us eternal satisfaction like Christ is offering here. And so what do we do? We, we continue to, to fill our lives with these things. And we're like, why isn't it working? But m money, why, why isn't that working? Um, you know, relation, why, why isn't this working? And, and we're, we're lost. We're trying to find something that will fill and satisfy that deep longing that all of humanity has. And Jesus is saying, look, I have something that will fill that, that will fulfill that longing, that you'll never have to worry about trying to find something to satisfy again. Right, so he's now starting to get to like the big point of this, um, something that will satisfy forever. And so she's like, wow, I want that, right? And here's, here's the cool thing. Now he shifts, good gospel transition here for Jesus. Um, he goes from saying, I, I'm going to offer you this. And she's like, good, I want it. Well, we got to address something first, right? Let's talk about the uncomfortable part of your life. And so look what he says in verse, um, in verse 16. He says, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. So the woman answered him, I have no husband. So Jesus said, 
you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. <laughs> this, is, this is the best part. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship, right? Think about that for a second, right? Her response is so intriguing because this is exactly like us, right? Let's simplify it a little bit. So Jesus, go get your husband so we can talk, right? She's like, I don't have one. He's like, I know. You've had five. And the guy you're with now, um, that's not your husband. And she's like, look at that mountain over there. Um, that's where we worship, and that's where you worship. So, like, which is the right one, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not even in the same, like, I don't even know, like, realm, okay? Like, she's way off in the distance, and, and he's right here. And she completely deflects, and she completely changes the subject. Why? Because we don't want to talk about our deep secrets. We don't want our mistakes to be exposed. We don't want people to know the things that we, that we do that aren't honoring to God. And so we deflect, right? We, we say, uh, yeah, but, but, but look, look what he did, or look what she did, or nah, but look, the situation, right? And so we begin to, like, push it off on other things or other people, and we don't actually accept or admit what, what we really have going on deeply that we need correcting. And so she deflects. And this is a great, great part of the story because Jesus could very well have just gone into, listen, forget about those mountains. Like, let's talk about your sin for a second, all right? Because we really need to take care of this right now, okay? We need to, we need to get down to the, to the nitty-gritty. Let's talk about this, this stuff in your life. But instead, what does he say? He addresses what she brings up. Um, and, and that's great because it shows us that Christ doesn't dwell on our mistakes, right? He's not going to sit there and dwell on the things that she's done. Instead, he wants to continue to try to point her to God, to point her to eternal life, to that living water. And so look at verse um, 21. So he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. So, um, you know, he doesn't dwell, but instead he addresses this, this question of, well, what about worship? Like, where, what about this debate we have going on? And this is a great illustration and thing for us to take into is that it doesn't matter, you know, he says it doesn't matter if it's that mountain, this mountain, that one over there, that temple, or, or that temple, and, you know, it doesn't matter for us what church, you know, this church, that church, how, how you do this, or what matters is who you're worshiping and your heart behind your worship. That's what he's saying, right? Forget about this, you're, you're trying to bring us back to this debate over religion, and he says forget about that. Why don't we talk about what's important, and that's who you're worshiping, do you even know who you claim to worship? And your heart behind it, in spirit and in truth, what is your attitude behind your worship? So again, he's trying to take her and steer her to point her to God. Rather than having these, these religious and social debates, he's trying to continue to push her uh, and, and show her who God is. And she's, she's like almost there. She's kind of starting, the wheels are turning, and now she's going into the realm of worship. And then this, this grand culmination in, in verse 26 is like the best part. Because it's the grand reveal, right? It's like the climax of the whole entire story where she's going, I know the Messiah is coming. Um, eh, you're saying good things, but uh, when he comes, he's going to tell us everything, all right? Like, mm, I'm going to wait for him, but thanks, you know, thanks for, for letting me know that. And he goes, listen, like, that's me. Like, this, the person you've been talking to for the last however long this conversation has been going on, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you're talking about. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And in that moment, 
the, the scales fall, like they, they fall off. She sees she's not blind. Her heart is opened. She realizes in that moment that it's Jesus, that it's the Messiah, and she's like blown away to the point where, where she gets up and just takes off running back to the village. It's not, there's no, like, no conversation after that. She doesn't, she doesn't go, whoa, whoa, like, I, whoa, you know, like, it's, it's, it's just, oh my gosh, and she like gets up and takes off running, because why? She's so excited, she's overcome with joy, she's overcome with emotion, and she wants to go tell everybody about what just happened. She wants to go run to the people that she knows in her village and tell them about the interaction she just had with the Messiah. It's crazy, um, the, the drastic change that, that happens. So here's, um, that's a great story, um, you know, Adam, thanks for that. But what's the, the, the big idea, right? What's the point of that story in our lives? Like I said at the beginning, you kind of find yourself um, in, t- in two camps, right? You could be um, the one that Jesus is pursuing, um, the Samaritan woman, or um, you could be the one that needs to be pursuing like Jesus is doing. Uh, so I have a challenge for, for those of you that are believers. Um, but first, I want to talk to you um, that may not have had a, a really true, genuine um, encounter with, with Christ. Maybe you think you, you know God, and maybe, like the Samaritan woman, you think you know worship, and, and you think that you're good. You know, she knows her stuff. She's not dumb. She knows about religion. She knows about temple worship. She knows about the mountains of the Old Testament that signified worship um, of God. So she's not dumb, but maybe you really haven't had that face-to-face interaction with Jesus. So I want to address that first, because that same Living water that Christ is offering the woman in this story is not just for her. That living water is something that he has offered to everybody in past, everybody in present, and everybody in the future. So if you're sitting here and you haven't experienced this living water, this, this uh, gift that Jesus is offering that will fulfill and, and cause you to never go thirsty, to, to always be satisfied, then, then listen to this because we're, we're so much um, like that woman, right? We're, we're sitting here and we're going, yeah, but God wouldn't, why, he wouldn't want me. Like, I'm so ashamed. I'm so embarrassed. I don't, I don't want people to know about the mistakes I've made. I don't want people to, to know about my deep, dark secrets. And um, I, I want to tell you one thing, that we all started there um, as, as humanity, right? Romans 3.23 says that all of us we're sinners. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person, even those of us that are believers, we all start there as that woman, just ashamed in our sin and outcast. And, and God says, look, I'm going to send Jesus to come after you. I'm going to send him to come after you individually. I want him to die so that you, every single person, has a chance to know and taste of that living water, right? He, he comes, John 3, 16, Romans 5, 8, he comes so that he, he, he can die and, and offer eternal life um, so that everyone has that opportunity. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So we have this, this deep longing inside of us for something, and he's trying to break through your heart, and he's knocking, and he's, he's trying so hard. You're sitting right there on that well, and you're having the conversation maybe even, but you haven't realized what he can truly offer you and the beauty of that and how it changes your life. And once you realize that and you, and you taste of that living water, you'll, 
the song we sang, right? Christ is enough. You'll never go thirsty again. When, when you're singing that, I hope, I hope that you're realizing that we believe that. Christ is enough. There's nothing else that satisfies. Money, power, status, relationships, all those things, uh, Solomon says, those are all vanity. It's all going to be gone, right? It's all going to be done, but Jesus will last forever. What he offers you, the eternal life that he offers as a result of this living water will last forever. And he came and died so that you could taste of it and so that I could taste of it. So if you're sitting here and you haven't experienced that yet, man, I pray so hard that God will break through and that you'll taste that water because there's nothing like it, nothing that will satisfy like that. Amen. Yeah. So, um, again, man, once you let him into your life, um, the the woman runs, right? She sprints back. Jesus stays in that town um, for for two more days. In verse 39, it tells us that um, many from that town believed. So not just her running back and telling them, but now as a result of her complete life change of what Jesus did in her life, think about where she was. Think about who she was known for being, right? She was the outcast because of her immorality, because of all the men she had been with. And instead, they go, wow, something crazy has happened in your life. What in the world? You're, you're completely different. You're, you're, we don't even recognize who you are. And so they're like, I want whatever you have. I want what's been given to you. I want to meet this person. I want to experience what he has to offer. And so now Jesus stays and all these people are coming to Christ and they're, and they're, they're growing in faith and, and people are getting saved. And uh, as a result of what she experienced, it's just great. So again, man, if you're sitting here, I just pray that, that something speaks to you and Jesus is, is wanting so badly to break through into your heart. Uh, and maybe then you find yourself in the second camp. And this is, um, for those of us that are believers, those, those of us who call ourselves Christians, um, Here's my big question for you, and this is a, a challenging thing for me as well, um, as I say it even. Um, but are you being intentional in your life with the gospel? Are you being intentional with how you interact with people? Do you have um, specific people in your life that you're going after intentionally, um, that you've been praying for? Can you, can you close your eyes right now and picture their faces? Can you see who that person is? Because if you can't, um, shame on us for not having people in our life that we are trying so desperately to share the gospel with so that they might taste of this water that we speak of that's so freeing uh, and, and fills us with such life and such joy. We need to have those people in our mind. I can see uh, multiple people now that I've been praying with um, or praying for for a while, and, and you know, some of them are are like people that are going to be impossible to get in touch with, but I don't care because if God lays someone on your heart and says, go after them, then you go after them, right? Um, have you thought about the conversation, right? Jesus was intentional in what he said. Have you thought about what you're going to say? Have you thought about a strategy? Have you thought about how you're going to break through and break down the barriers and, and the walls um, in, in, their, in their life? Think about the issues we have going on in our world, right? How are you going to break through and break down the barriers of the, so, of the, of the cultural issues? Um, you know, you have... Um, you have homosexuality and you have gender issues and you have poverty and you have abortion and you have sex trafficking and you have immigration and you have the refugee crisis. Uh, because honestly, if you haven't thought about these things and if you're just going to go after someone with the Bible, then it's not going to work. 
you're not going to have an effective evangelistic ministry towards them because they're not going to believe the Bible. They don't believe this book if they're not believers. So why would you take this and try to beat them over the head with the Bible? You've got to know exactly what's going on in our world. You've got to know about these big issues so that when you're faced with a conversation, you can express that in, in these issues, Jesus is the only remedy for any of it, right? Love, grace, he offers us a solution, but we're so caught up in, well, but Jesus said, but Jesus said, uh, you know, God said this, you know, you're, you're going to hell or you're condemned or judgment or whatever, instead of going, okay, here's a big issue. Let's have a conversation about that. Let's talk about homosexuality. Let's talk about abortion. Let's talk about the refugee crisis. Let's talk about how these are huge issues and it's so sad, but Jesus offers, a, or God offers a solution in Christ, right? He offers a remedy. So that should be our approach. That should be our strategy. You got to be able to have intellectual conversations with people about these things, right? So think about those people in your life and think about when you're going to interact with them and how you're going to break through. you got to have a strategy. You can't just be like, all right, um, God, just, um, you know, here, here's someone, so um, I hope that it works out, right? And you're like walking down the street and you're like, you know, oh, <laughs> hey, Jerry, um, have a good day, uh, you know, and you like walk the other way. Um, instead, you, you have to think, okay, so um, you get to know that person. What is Jerry like? Um, Jerry likes coffee. Jerry likes fishing. Maybe I'll walk over, and uh, he's my neighbor, and I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? And he's like, oh, you know, just um, getting back from work. And I'm like, oh, sweet, man, you, you done any fishing lately? Oh, why do you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you get into this conversation, and then you start bringing things into light that are, you know, culture. What do you think about this, right? What do you think about this going on in the world? Isn't that crazy? I can't believe this happened. Think about, you know, the shooting in Orlando, or think about what's going on, you know, the, the, sh the shooting in, in um, Mogadishu, I think is where it was, and you think about these places where there's big things happening. What do you think about that, right? Like, isn't that so sad? It's so terrible. I can't believe, you know, that these things are going on in our world, and we live so comfortably, but guess what? I, I have something that I'd like to share with you, right? And so you use these big things that are going on. You show that you can have a conversation about the world. You're not just in a little bubble, but you can have an intelligent conversation conversation and then you bridge that gap that you might have, that barrier that you might have because you show that you care about the things of the world. You, you show that you love people no matter their social status or whatever's going on, right? You love like Christ loved. And so my challenge to you, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a believer and you don't have people is find someone uh, in your workplace, at your schools, in your neighborhood, be intentional about going after that person because what was Jesus' final words, right? Go and make disciples. Don't sit on your backsides and hope that they come to you, right? Jesus went after this woman. Jesus went after people. We should be going after people. And I guarantee you, if you're praying hard, if you're going after people, just like our staff has, has been doing, praying for people, and we're seeing people come to Christ because we're being intentional about who it is. Take them to lunch. Take them to coffee. Whatever the case may be, and have an intentional conversation that leads into the gospel and about the beauty of Christ and what he can offer them because there's no message like it. There's nothing else you can offer them that will satisfy, and they all have the longing for something. So meet that need with Christ, and I guarantee you do that and you pray for that, that you'll see crazy things happen. Jesus, will, God will use you uh, to, to share Christ and to see lives changed. And that's our prayer as a church, not just a staff, but that we see hundreds of people as a result of your ministry in your lives to them. So again, I ask, what are you doing about it, about being purposeful and about being intentional? Um, and think about it, and I pray and, and hope that we see lives changed um, as a result of, of that ministry. So let's pray, and then we got another song. So um, God, uh, thanks for this morning, and um, thanks for your word, and thanks for um, stories that we know sometimes all too well, but um, that you can continue to teach us and show us things um, that we need to be working on in our life so that we can uh, be better um, 
servants for you and that we'd be better um, at shaping our lives to look like you. And so just um, just challenge us this morning, God. Uh, if, if there's anyone sitting here and they haven't tasted of that water and they haven't experienced the joy of salvation, the freedom that you offer, God, I pray before they leave that they would at least question it and think about it and maybe ask somebody uh, about it. That's what we want. We want to invoke thought and wonder about this Jesus that we talk about. Um, but God, then I, I pray for those who are believers sitting here that maybe don't have someone in their life that they can think of. Um, God, place someone on their heart, place someone in their mind, give them the passion to go after that person. Um, and God, I pray that as a result that we would see lives changed uh, for your glory 